Hello, welcome to Mindful Emory. I am here to share with you the benefits of meditation and living a mindful life. Together, we will explore simple techniques to bring mindfulness into your life. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Hello and uh, welcome to this episode. I had the honor and the privilege to interview one of my friends by the name of Ralph. And in this episode, which is part one of two for Ralph's interview, um, Ralph goes in depth about his life as a child, the way he was controlled by his parents up into his adulthood um, and all through his life. He struggled with an eating disorder and how that affected his life, the reason why he believes he had this eating disorder um, through his marriage. And then at the age of 59, Ralph chose himself. He chose his own happiness, and he chose to stand in his own power. And I admire Ralph for having the courage to stand up for himself and to choose his own happiness and move forward in his life I know you're going to enjoy this story. Thank you. I was born in 1960 in Napa, California, and born into a religion and that just was our whole life. And back in the day, it was several times a week, Sunday, and um, <clears throat> We just went. It was just expected and part of life, just like going to school. But my parents, it was growing up with my parents, it was a very dysfunctional relationship or a lot of abuse, mental abuse and physical abuse, pretty serious stuff. I mean, today, I always, I always say this, that today it would be more like you'd be in jail for how we were treated. Um, the abuse, the beating. And, um, but so being at home, it was real dark. And as I got older, I, I felt I was different, but I wasn't able to put words to it. So I just, by the time I'm 16 or 17, I realized that I'm just really different. I really don't know what to say, but from the religious perspective, it was evil. I shouldn't have been born. It's a choice. So when you said you felt different, how did that how did that look and feel inside of your mind? I just didn't fit in. I felt I didn't fit in anywhere because just, of your religious background and like the form. That because they... of because of the religious background and my sexuality behaviors okay. in my mind and with myself and um, with a little friend pre-puberty and um, <clears throat> in high school I could easily talk to girls but I realized this last two years all through my life whenever a girl would want to hold hands or kiss I just it, I felt nervous and I felt like it was I was kissing my sister it was gross it didn't feel right and guys I didn't want anything to do with them either. I didn't know how to communicate with them. I had a few friends, kinda, but not really. And um, so I just felt really awkward and just, you know, low, very, very low self-esteem. 
and to self-medicate, I was using food. Okay. Big time. Um, which is part of the story. How so? Um, just, I just never felt I looked right, so I'd start running like crazy. Maybe I'll look like everybody else, and I'll be okay, and... But I just kept binging and binging, so I was always doing everything in my life to look different, act different, and... But still binging and overeating to the point, like, high school I was 160, but I still felt very wrong. I didn't look right. 1990, I ran a marathon, was 130, still didn't feel right. And just up and down, up and down all the time. Never consistent for probably more than six months or even sometimes a week. So and is that like a form of body dysmorphia that you body, believe? Yeah, body dysmorphia, I feel. And I don't think there's a word for it back in the day. No, just, just we don't feel comfortable in our own skin, right? Like, yeah. especially during adolescence, people are going through the hormonal changes and we that's difficult enough to navigate. Right. But then you couple that with what you're going through with the body dysmorphia, but also with sexuality, sexuality yeah. and then bringing in the church right. and the guilt, right? Yeah. So by 20, so just a side note, 2017, I was, or 20, 20 2007, eight, I was up to 250 and lost the weight again. And then by 2017, I was going up, to, I was about 220 again joined another, yet another diet program, 500 a month, had to have a coach in the program, and um, lost all the weight, down to about 170, 75, but towards the end of that six months, I was binging and lying to my coach, so I asked him if we could meet, never met the guy, and we talked, I told him what was going on, he said, well, you thought about professional help, and the first thing that came to my mind was a 12-step program that our religion had, so I tried that for a month, it didn't work, in that program, I met a guy that had was going to another program, another 12-step program for food addicts, tried that for a month, it didn't work, so Googled around and found the original food addict program called Overeaters Anonymous. So I started that in the summer of 2018 and I believe that's why I'm alive. Really? A couple years later, 2020, the ex, my wife at the time, asked me to stop going to this one meeting a week, an hour a week. And the thing, this thing was saving my life. I was close to abstinence, learning like crazy. I had a therapist started a, a therapist in January. And what this program did for me is settle down the insanity around food in my brain. And they call them, also brought out character defects. I'd reframe it and call it character traits. That these things will always be with me. I'll always be a compulsive eater, like an alcoholic will always be an alcoholic. And, um, <clears throat> But it put these traits in balance and I was getting close to not living in fear, not living in shame and guilt for anything and working on and 
trying to figure out my emotions, but I was on this antidepressant called Wellbutrin, which kind of cuts all your emotions in half, or even more. And uh, but when she asked me to stop going, that was horrible, because I didn't even know how to respond. I was just numb to it. What was her reasoning for asking you to do that? Um, I gotta be careful with the narrative with my ex because right. there's so much dysfunction, so much mental illness. I don't know if I should list them in detail what they are. No, I mean, was it, do you think it was, she wanted more of your time? Do you she think wanted, that she didn't want you to improve yourself? She well, wanted more of my time. Okay. It was all about the 36 year marriage and the last two years before I left was asked to leave we created a preschool business at the home and it was very expensive and every waking moment, even vacation times, every penny that I could muster went to the business that made a few pennies, mm -hmm. you know. So it was just basically time. Right. Or I guess maybe I can say this, we are all coming to this planet narcissistic. It's all about me to survive. But when things don't go right in the childhood, we end up with mental illness things, which I've had, and um, we still hold on to that narcissism to a point where it destroys relationships, which I witnessed and saw on her family side. So there's just, you can never do enough anything right is because of the other person anything wrong it's all me right, and i think that's a lot of how we're conditioned in this world as humans that one we carry around guilt and shame and we carry around blame to others to cover up for our guilt and shame right and when you say that those are traits that we, we have you're right and what we call that is shadows and you were correct when you were saying you embrace that as part of you, it's a characteristic, it's a trait, right? When we can learn to work with those shadows and see them, respect them, and put them in their place, we become a much more healthy human being in our mind. And that's what I've done these last two years, working these 12-step programs, reading the book, The Four Agreements, in, in my professional life, um, it's all been an issue and we've, I mean, I've read books, Anger Kills and the Oz Principle book course and Crucial Conversation course. Uh, with the ex, we did Love and Logic to kind of help with all this because we don't want to raise our children the way our parents raised us, very abusive. But it's still there, like a shadow that you don't know. Right. In these last two years, brought all that out with the coaching and therapy and the books that I've read and the 12-step program and it's kind of settled it all down to a point where that I was on three antidepressants in 2020 and I went off them because I just felt I need my emotions yeah I need my emotions to understand and to be able to figure life out and not suppress it so every day, my action plan is I get up in the morning, I read some of these 12-step things, books and materials, There's, I'm in two of them, and then I journal my emotions and feelings, and they refer to it as a higher power, 
they don't refer it to God because this is a worldwide program and it's not a religion. Right. And so that has, for four years, five years, I've been doing that. Not 100%, but some weeks 100%, some weeks maybe three times a week. Mm -hmm. But it's really made a difference in my life to unravel choices that were placed upon me that that had me all messed up <laughs> yeah well i mean and you were a child right so those yeah. those choices were made for you with the church yeah and that's what so that's the thing is that i've read and learned a lot about is parents do the best they can in their own minds they think they're doing the right thing but they're they're carrying around what they they have from their childhood yeah. until we can work with those shadows and embrace them and become, I don't want to say enlightened, but more awake with who we are, not with this universe or the world, but who you are, that's a healthier lifestyle that you can then approach the world with an open heart and an open mind. Yeah. The end of 2019, I was just raging inside. I was like a, a I call it a Mormon zombie, just going through the motions and didn't feel valued didn't, at work or at home with my family, just kind of pretending. My oldest son's wife, so my daughter-in-law said I was checked out. And I think I really was. And uh, didn't even realize how much I was checked out. It's, um, so when or what? So happened to where to to where it shook you awake. So I went on. We were supposed to, my every time every five years I have a a reunion and it's in Napa. I graduated in '79, so this is 2019. It's our 40th reunion, and I I'm like if I wait any longer, I won't even recognize myself in the mirror or anybody else. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to go, and every five years it's like no, we got projects to do, we got more important things to do, or I didn't want to go, but I really wanted to go. And so I, she, she said I could go, everything's fine, if you need money, I got a little money. And I'm like, no, it's not gonna be very expensive. I rented a car. And I had a blast. And I, I just wanted to, I mean, the reunion was okay. You know, it's kind of clickish. Those that have stayed in Napa, those that have left and come back for the reunion were more open. But there was still real kind of clickish. And um, walked to the people to talk to them and they would just turn around and walk away. I didn't realize, I can't believe I learned this 40 years later, but being in the band, you were bottom of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the computer club, you know, yeah. or something so... I, I, it's just a horrible mindset that we put on each other to judge each other and, um, and to carry it 40 years into the future to carry sad. it 40 years and not talk to people and just just because of what you did in high school yeah so um, so I I actually went to San Francisco and there's this beach where it's clothing optional and I just like since I'm a closeted naturist I hid behind the rocks and just took all my clothes off, enjoyed my time. And then the next day I'm like, 
what the hell, everybody else is, why not? And then realized I didn't, I'd rather just be around men. So I came back, on the way back, I'm Googling, found an organization or a group of guys that you can just be yourself. It's all non-sexual and I felt it was safe. And that kind of got me a little bit in the community and um, so is it a nature's club? Yeah, nature's group club. Mm -hmm. And did a few activities, but not too much. But then by January, I'm, I'm like, I don't think I can survive this planet living the way I'm living. Um, I'm just, I need to figure this out. So I came up with an idea that I could I thought I'll just leave during the week and live with a brother or in a garage somewhere, just a bed in a corner somewhere, and then come home on the weekend and work on this business and the projects and the home, and I'd be gone during the week and kind of figure myself out. Um, so I talked to her about that, and it didn't go over very well, so I said I wouldn't leave. And then for a week, we started talking really openly. but. Um, it didn't last too long and what I was doing was hurtful to her so I she asked me to leave one day and that's where we will end part one for you today uh, part two will be coming out shortly and I know you're going to want to hear the rest of Ralph's life story. Until next time, I'm wishing you the best of intentions. Namaste. Thanks for listening to Mindful Emery. Don't forget to rate review, and follow wherever you listen. And follow me on social media at Mindful Emery for Facebook and Instagram, as well as my website, mindfulemery.com.